Welcome to the Arab Spring, a history. Episode 1, Introduction. I am Jamie Redfern, and shall be your host for this series. On the 17th of December, 2010, a Tunisian street vendor set himself on fire in protest at President Ben Ali's corrupt and oppressive government. Within a month, Ben Ali had stepped down after 23 years in power. Protests spread across the region like wildfire. By the time of writing, the summer of 2013, Libya, Egypt and Yemen have overthrown their governments. Reforms have taken place in Morocco, Jordan, Kuwait, Bahrain and Oman. There have been major protests in Algeria, Lebanon, Iraq and civil war is raging in Syria. Just how did this happen? That is what this series will strive to find out. This podcast is going to be a history of the Middle East from about the year 1900 through to the present day. We will cover the story of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire and the birth of the Iranian Pahlavi dynasty in the era of World War I, and follow Turkey, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, Iran, the Gulf states, Libya, Israel, and Tunisia through these years as they follow their own divergent paths. It is one of the most thrilling eras in history, and one that is crucial to understanding the way the world is today. We'll cover the figures who defined the era. Ataturk, Reza Shah, Mossadegh, Nasser, Ayatollah Khomeini, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, among many others. We'll look at the great revolutions, such as the birth of Turkey, the Islamic Revolution, and of course, the Arab Spring. We're going to look at the Ba'ath Party, the PLO, and the Arab-Israeli conflict, Al-Qaeda, the rise and fall of Dubai, the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. We're going to get not only into political history, but military, economic and social history, not to mention many digressions along the way. Don't be scared if you think you know nothing about the period. This podcast is going to be very accessible. Some of you may be familiar with my other podcasts, A History of Alexander and A History of Hannibal and the Punic Wars. Both focus on ancient military history and revel in the details of the topic. This isn't going to be like that. It's going to be much more of an overview than an in-depth study. Before we get into the topic of today, setting the scene in the Ottoman Empire and Qajar Persia around the turn of the century, ready to cover World War I next week, I have a couple of things I'd like to get into first. Specifically, pronunciation. As you can probably tell by my accent, I am British. And if you've listened to my other podcasts, you'll know I am a very proud Mancunian, from the city of Manchester in the north of England. 
This means that I'm going to go with British rather than American pronunciation of words. I will say Iran rather than Iran, Al-Qaeda rather than Al-Qaeda. I point this out in case you are not familiar with British pronunciations of these words. They are correct, just not perhaps what my international listenership is used to. Likewise, for my own convenience, I will go with academic rather than popular pronunciations. There are very few instances where this will come up, but the type of books I'm reading will make it much easier for me to speak of the former Libyan dictator as Muammar Gaddafi rather than Muammar Gaddafi, as he is referred to more in the media. I think this is the more accurate version, and I will do my very best with pronunciation, but you have my apologies in advance for any mistakes I make along the way. One last word. This podcast is going to be an overview, and I'm not going to be able to get into some things as much as I want to because of that. Therefore, if you want some more information on the region's history, I'd recommend my own Alexander series and Rob Monaco's The Podcast History of Our World for the ancient background, while Lars Brownworth's Twelve Byzantine Emperors and Robin Pearson's History of Byzantium podcast give a good look at the medieval period. For some understanding of Islamic thought, Peter Adamson's History of Philosophy is just getting into that period. For a fuller explanation of the world wars, When Diplomacy Fails by Zach Twamley has a truly marvellous series of episodes about World War I, which can add some context to that period. And of course, for World War II, how could I pass over Ray Harris's History of World War II podcast? All highly recommended. There are plenty of other good shows out there which I haven't had the time to check out, so if you search iTunes I'm sure you'll find some good stuff on periods which I haven't had time to listen to. While extra material would be helpful, it isn't necessary. Think of it as extra credit, if you want. Now, to steal a line from the aforementioned When Diplomacy Fails, let me take you to the year 1900. The Mediterranean world of 1900 was a mirror image of the world in 900. The Middle Ages saw a frankly unimpressive European civilization facing the far more advanced civilization of Islam. The Caliphate stretched 4,000 miles from Spain to China. Huge advances were being made in medicine, astronomy, and above all, mathematics. A scholar living in Baghdad or Cairo would understandably have little interest in the brutish civilization on the far side of the Dardanelles. For those of you not familiar with the term, the Dardanelles are the piece of water between Europe and Asia, in Turkey, where the modern city of Istanbul is located. The petty kings fighting for the ruins of the Roman Empire were nothing compared to the Middle East or China. Angkor Wat in Cambodia, constructed in the 12th century, is a far more impressive structure than anything being done in the West. Yet, the infighting in Europe would cause competition, and a strong force would emerge from it. Europe exploded onto the world stage in the 15th and 16th centuries, 
and very soon would be considered the most powerful civilization on the planet. In these years, another power was forming near the West, that of the Ottomans. The Ottoman Turks expanded from a heartland in modern Turkey in the 1300s to conquer the entire Middle East by 1600. It seemed as though the Ottomans would continue to advance along with Western Europe. But this was not to be. By 1900, the two great Muslim states, the Ottoman Empire and Persia, were shadows of their former selves. Just how on earth did this happen? Well, there are four reasons. 1. Ottoman institutions were not well suited for change. For example, the Janissaries. The Janissaries were the elite Ottoman troops, children taken from Christian families and raised as Muslims. They were excellent fighters, both in the empire's foreign wars and maintaining order within. Gradually, the Janissaries became more independent with their power. They were the most powerful force within the empire. They liked the status quo, and did not like change. Therefore, they resisted any attempted change, and would revolt should it be proposed. As Western European armies advanced, the Ottomans did not. They couldn't match the West. They were defeated when trying to take Vienna in 1529, and again about 150 years later. The first defeat slowed down their growth. The second marked their decline. By the time the Janissaries were finally put down, it was too late. 2. The succession system. How to transfer power from one generation to the next is the most dangerous time for any state. In the West, it is not appreciated how lucky we are to have fair elections with peaceful transfers of power every few years. As the Ottomans formed their succession system, they were faced by the lessons of the previous rulers of Egypt, the Mamluks, who had been torn apart by civil war within the ruling class. The Ottomans had a system of hereditary rule, father to son. You're probably thinking that this is fine, besides for the institutionalised sexism. Many monarchies have a similar system. What was wrong with this? Well, those who didn't succeed to the throne were all killed. The sultans had large families with multiple wives, and the court was a den of vipers, everyone plotting to get their preferred candidate on the throne. To secure the succession then, once an heir was designated, they were isolated in a room known as the cage. This resulted in sultans being physically and mentally weak, not capable of governing a large cosmopolitan empire. I'd like to keep this podcast clean from things that are too disturbing, but the life of Sultan Ibrahim I, the Mad, is highly entertaining, and I'd recommend giving it a look. Though this podcast is not a place for these sorts of stories. While highly entertaining, the story is in reality tragic, and doomed the dynasty, just as it would do with the Safavids in Persia. These rulers were in no fit state to lead, 
and too paranoid to let others do so. Many capable viziers were killed in these years. 3. The Empire's Economic Policies The Caliphate had been Islam's golden age, not only in terms of military, culture, arts and ideas, but commerce too. This is the opposite under the Ottomans. The Ottomans prized military glory, and for two centuries enjoyed splendid success, but they looked down on production, manufacturing and commerce. Those of you who know anything about the early modern period in the West will know about the increase in production through ideas such as the printing press and the European traders that would crisscross the globe. Nothing of the sort happened in the Arabic world. Even hundreds of years before the Industrial Revolution, the West was already overtaking the Ottomans in terms of material strength. This very quickly transferred over into the military sphere. Wealth and commerce left the Ottomans, as their economy became more focused on subsistence agriculture. Egypt hugely suffered through loss of trade, as Portugal opened up the sea routes to India by sailing around the Cape of Good Hope. What little wealth remaining in the empire was not helped by the severe inflation which was ravaging Europe throughout the 16th century, as gold flooded in from the Americas. As the Ottomans and Persians did not develop their states through production, concessions were offered to the Western powers. The West would pay for a development in the Ottoman or Persian state, be it a university, a railway line, the Suez Canal. They would receive most of the profits as well as much influence. In return, the state giving the concession would receive minimal payments. They needed these payments as they were very short on finance and desperately needed the money. They wanted to have armies to assert themselves on the world stage. But the problem was that they couldn't afford to do this. By giving concessions to the West, they placed themselves in a very vulnerable position, and foreign influence grew. Germany and Britain gained huge influence in the Ottoman Empire, while Russia and Britain vied for power in Persia. Germany and Britain would become rivals for power as Britain felt threatened by Germany's constructing a fleet. Britain had for a long time been rivals with Russia, whose influence was growing in Asia, and Britain felt determined to not let Russian power reach the warm water port she desperately wanted, and not to let her get anywhere near her possessions in India, the jewel in the British Empire's crown. 4. Regional Autonomy As communication speeds increased across Europe in the later Middle Ages and modern period, it resulted in much more powerful central governments, and as a result, much more powerful states that would go on to dominate the world. The opposite happened in the Ottoman Empire, and even more so in Persia. Regions gradually slipped out of Ottoman control. Under Muhammad Ali, Egypt became effectively independent in the 19th century. Though the European powers still had significant influence, 
particularly once the Suez Canal had been built on a concession by the French and British. The British were very concerned about control of the route to India, and gradually their influence increased. They secured the Persian Gulf through semi-independent emirs, who would eventually become the United Arab Emirates, and the route through the Red Sea by control of Yemen, at the time known as Aden. This culminated in the British occupying Egypt in 1882, and eventually Egypt becoming a protectorate. Egypt was never formally incorporated into the empire, but it was a part of it to all intents and purposes. Greece became an independent kingdom in 1832, and the empire's European position gradually deteriorated as nationalism grew in the Balkans, and Russia looked enviously upon Constantinople, the Ottoman Empire's glittering capital, sitting on the Dardanelles. And the empire fought a draining series of wars against Russia, becoming weaker and weaker. In the 19th century, the Ottoman Empire was known as the sick man of Europe. While the position of the Ottoman sultans was weak, the Persian Qajar Shah could barely hold on to his nation. Imperial revenue was pathetic, and the army was in practice only several thousand strong. Quite clearly, the Ottomans and the Persians were in a terrible position by 1900. Hopefully, this episode will have given you a sense of what the world was like in 1900, and next week we can begin the real story. We'll begin the narrative by telling two stories, namely how the Ottoman Empire and Qajar Persia collapsed, to be replaced with Ataturk's Turkey and Reza Shah's Iran. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, and this podcast sounds like your kind of thing, please visit us online. You can visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com, and you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod. Send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about my other podcasts, A History of Alexander and A History of Hannibal and the Punic Wars. Music credit goes to ejaz215, and credit for the podcast's photo goes to Abmed Abd El Fattah. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Allah.